Hi, and welcome to Conscious Pathways, the podcast where we explore the intersection of education and social justice through transformative conversations. I'm your host, Brittany, and I am so happy that you've tuned in. Also, happy Black History Month. Uh, One of my favorite ways to honor Black thoughts and Black voices is through books. Uh, If you know me in real life, you know that I am an avid reader. Uh, I love my mystery and my filler genres, but the last couple of years I've been trying to expand the genres that I read. Uh, So I've been exploring some romance novels, some science fiction, and even a little bit of fantasy. Uh, I don't know, y'all. I just don't think that's my thing, but you know, I'm still having a good time, still trying out some new things. If you want to celebrate uh, Black authors and books this Black History Month, then the bookshop.org team has you covered. They've curated a list of books by Black authors for you to enjoy. I've added those lists to my bookshop.org profile. So from now until February 29th, you can enjoy an additional 15% off titles in those lists when you use discount code BHM24, like Black History Month 24, BHM24. These lists cover everything from children's books and middle grade books to adult fiction and nonfiction. There's even a list for poetry and cookbooks. So if you click the link in my show notes, you can support the podcast, Black authors, and local independent bookshops. So it is a win, win, win. And speaking of winning, I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Key. So Akia Key Gross is an early childhood educator, creator, former classroom teacher, instructional coach, and cultural organizer currently innovating ways to resist, heal, liberate, and create with their pedagogy, Woke Kindergarten. An abolitionist early childhood ecosystem and visionary creative portal supporting little comrades and the adults that care for them in the pursuit of critical unlearning and liberatory education. My conversation with Key was just so enlightening. They are such a brave and beautiful and kind soul. Um, and I was just so just excited to share this conversation. Um, I will give a heads up that we do discuss some of the current happenings around the globe. Um, and that's including what's unfolding right now in Gaza. And so I know this can be a bit of a head heavy subject and don't talk about anything too graphic, but I just wanted to give a little heads up that the conversation does come up. So please take care of yourself. Um, and let's remember to be respectful and kind and lead with curiosity. Um, and with that said, let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Conscious Pathways. Uh, hi, Brittany. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing okay. We're making it, moving through. All right, all right. I feel that. <laughs> Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Conscious Pathways. Um, I just really have been loving the, your content on Instagram, like both kindergarten, um, and I've been following it for a bit. So I was really excited to reach out and really excited to just have you on the podcast and talk about these really important topics. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, so as always, I want to start out by asking, you know, you have a background in early childhood education. So why early childhood and, you know, who or what inspired you to join this field? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm very much early childhood gang. Mm-hmm. I have taught infants, toddlers, two-year-olds, preschool, kindergarten. I've been in childcare settings. Um, I've been in uh, charter school settings. And uh, it's really interesting I never thought that I would be a teacher. Um, It never occurred to me as long as I grew up. It didn't occur to me in college either. I have always been in the presence of kids. Even when I was a child, I was like a PE and computer buddy. I was a best buddy. Like I did my service learning hours in high school at my old kinder care that I went to. I just naturally always gravitated towards supporting kids, even as a child. And when I was younger, I thought that I would be a child psychologist. And so when I went to college, I was double majoring in psych and studio art. I studied Mm -hmm. film for a while and I went to UNC Chapel Hill and most of the classes, the core classes were very big. And it was basically like, you just took a bunch of exams and the Mm -hmm. teacher had like microphones. And then the other classes that we were taking There was nothing really Mm hands-on and I started to get really depressed Um, and by my 
junior year, I had told my mom, like, listen, if things don't get better, I'm going to transfer home to Maryland. Like, I can't do this. And what's really interesting, I was raised by a single parent, a single teenage parent. Um, and I think that I've noticed that I am basically my mom if she hadn't had to be in survival mode and also mm -hmm. with more boundaries and also not in Aries. I am a Scorpio, so like we're very <laughs> different, but I say all that to say my mom is very much a kid person. Mm. She is very much a kid person and it's really interesting how this happened. My junior year, I got a call from my mom saying, I found you the early childhood program. I called them and asked if you could apply late. So make sure you go apply. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I applied and they let me in late and it changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. And so I think we complain a lot sometimes about having overbearing parents. <laughs> you know, my mother and I have a tumultuous relationship sometimes, mm -hmm. but she still, she still sees me in ways that other people may have not. And mm -hmm. I remember back when she still had my like childhood home, this, this townhouse. And I was looking out of the window, overlooking the front stoop. And my mom was sitting there with my dog who, who, who has since passed away. Mm -hmm. And there were 11 children from the neighborhood surrounding her. And I just remember being like, Oh, that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. It's you. It comes from you. I am literally kind of living this living, breathing manifestation of, wow. of you as well. And so that overbearingness, for lack of a better <laughs> word, really changed the trajectory of my life. And so then I was in the Child Development and Family Studies program at UNC Chapel Hill. And that was an incredible program. It was, in, it was very progressive. Mm. We, we all got placed where we wanted to be placed. I mean, they were very specific wow. about what do you want? Where do you want to be? Uh, and we learned so much about like Reggio inspired education. I mean, we visited Quaker schools and Montessori and forest schools and all types of, of things. And uh, I actually did my my student teaching in an in infant toddler at Frank Porter Graham Institute in Early Head Start. Wow. I did my um, I did my like preschool student teaching with two black women teachers, one who was an elder and another who was younger. That is incredibly rare mm -hmm. in a Head Start program where 15 of the children did not speak English. Mm. Like it was just such an incredible wow. experience. I, I, I was introduced to uh, children from Myanmar for the first time mm. um, from Burma, Karen wow. children, refugees, like, and so learned, became radicalized around what mm -hmm. was happening and what is continuing to happen in, in Myanmar. I had such an incredible experience with those two black women, Miss mm. Jamila and Miss Candy. I will never forget. Not only that, Miss Jamila was this tall, like witchy Muslim elder from the Bronx. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Yes, like yes, that yes. was my life and Miss Candy, like, and they're from and, and we're in Carborough, North Carolina. And I just I, I really the way that my life worked out in early childhood was really incredible. And then I did my kindergarten student teaching in Durham at a Title I school. And I, and again, it was just this really incredible experience uh, to have. And that really changed the trajectory of my life. And so from then on, uh, early childhood was it for me. You know, mm -hmm. I moved home after college and I taught at Easter Seals, which was mm -hmm. an in intergenerational child development center. And I taught toddlers. So like we went from the baby side to the elder side Mm. And we used to kick it with the elders. Uh, yes. And so many of the kids uh, were disabled. So that was a beautiful experience. And then I taught uh, preschool at Apple Tree uh, Early Learning Public Charter, which was a charter school only specifically for preschool and pre-K. Mm. I worked on curriculum there. I had coaching every week. Like I mm. consulted. It, it was just like the way that things worked out to, for me was pretty incredible in my, in my trajectory. And then, uh, and then I came to New York. For, to go to teacher's college um, and was in the developmental psychology program. So I ended up double majoring at Carolina okay. and then went to TC, but I sought out early childhood while I was there. So I knew I'd be in developmental psych, not education, mm -hmm. 
But I ended up being a Zanko fellow working in Harlem's public schools with older kids. And then I worked as a graduate assistant at Rita Gold Center in the toddler room. All of these were really pivotal in my experiences to help prepare me to actually then teach kindergarten in, in Harlem. And those were my last kind of years in actual physical school, early childhood space. Wow. There's so there's so much beauty there. And it, it does kind of sound like you went full circle in a way because you did still end up in that developmental psychology and still learning so much about, you know, these really important, you know, parts of our life, these really kind of formative parts of our life. And, you know, more importantly, though, as an Aries, we now have beef. <laughs> You're an Aries. I'm an Aries. I'm so we sorry. got beef now. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That is so funny. My, You're a March or April Aries. I'm a March Aries. Yeah, my, so is my mom. She's See, March. She, we got beef. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, my poor mom is a Cancer and she had a Leo and an Aries. So, oh, ooh, <laughs> poor, not the fire in the water. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's rough. She never stood a chance. But... <laughs> At all. God bless that mama. Yeah, we're, we're out here wilding. So, <laughs> but. That's funny. I, I love hearing people's background. Like, I just always love asking that question because I love just knowing where people started and how people got here. And I love just, you know, seeing how people kind of connect that. I loved working with kids and I loved being around kids. And I always found myself in situations where I was just around kids. Um, and then kind of eventually it just it just happens anyways. Like you try to do something else and it just happens anyways. You're just in education and it is the best. <laughs> It yeah, is just it, it really is just is. the best. So <laughs> yes, yeah. Truly. Um, and so a lot of reason I reached out is you have, you know, you have a pedagogy that you talk about, you know, in your online presence that is, you know, just very like just radical and it's very, you know, progressive. And, you know, I really connected with it. And so do you kind of want to talk a little bit more about your your pedagogy with our audience here? Sure. So I left like physical schools in 2018. Uh, Prior to leaving, I was a kindergarten teacher. I was also the instructional coach of inquiry-based learning. Mm -hmm. I was also like the Japan math liaison Mm -hmm. uh, and a basketball coach at the school. Uh, I really love Harlem. I really love my community. I never would have left if if I had not felt like I, I was bearing witness to so much violence towards black children mm-hmm. um, that I actually felt like I was experiencing directly and vicariously. Mm-hmm. And I needed a break because I felt like we were all uh, being spirit murdered uh, in a mm-hmm. way that I was, I, I did not feel at that point, my best for kids, although I was the best for them there. Mm-hmm. I have very high standards for myself in teaching children. And while I was there, Um, I also was organizing Black Teachers Matter for a while. So that was the beginning of kind of my cultural organizing was around Black Teachers Matter. And uh, while I was in the classroom, I often created my own curriculum, Mm -hmm. uh, like developed my own units and tried to coach teachers up to that as well. And so at one point I started this Instagram called Woke Kindergarten. So this is way before the word woke was Mm -hmm. co-opted. Like this was literally and maybe like 2017. Mm -hmm. And I started this Instagram because I thought to myself, well, I would love to share what it is that I'm making and doing Mm -hmm. in my classroom outside of these four walls. Like I would love to share just resources and things. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a page, you know, because back in the day too, like Instagram was very different. You just posting pictures and like Mm -hmm. people were vibing. But then I kind of abandoned it when I left schools uh, and I, started doing a lot of cultural organizing and in mm-hmm. music and, and art around like uh, independent queer and trans artists mm-hmm. of the global majority, especially black queer, trans and non-binary artists, mm-hmm. uh, independent artists. And so that was my kind of break. And then I was consulting with places like Bank Street and all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so was so heavily involved in that element of things. And then the pandemic hits. So it's 2020 now Mm -hmm. and suddenly early childhood infrastructure crumbles because capitalism literally cannot function without early childhood. It can't. It literally cannot. It cannot. 
It cannot. Our, I mean, our school days are literally made around the workforce. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and in ch- childcare. When I worked in childcare, I'm working like 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. for like $15 an hour. Yep. Unreal. If you, when you think about it, and I had yeah. I had two degrees at the time, two degrees. So imagine mm-hmm. the folks who don't have degrees, because many childcare workers, who many happen to be women, most of them mm-hmm. older women of color, most of them only having credits, right? Like mm-hmm. not even the degrees. Imagine. So this infrastructure fails. Mm-hmm. We're fighting this killer virus that we know nothing about, mm-hmm. and George Floyd is murdered all at the same time. Yep. And now these protests are happening and no one knows what to do with their children at home. Mm-mm. No one knows how to speak with their children about George Floyd being murdered, mm. especially young children. And I had this pivotal moment where I remembered that I was an educator. Mm. And I say all that to say, when you leave the classroom, I feel like there's this overarching energy where it's like, you're not a teacher anymore. And that's so interesting to me because it is in my essence to be an educator. And I use, I don't use teacher and educator interchangeably, you know, because I think school teacher is one thing. There are a lot of those. Then I think there are some of us who are educators. Mm -hmm. And so every aspect of our life looks like that. It feels like that. When people experience us, it's very much that. Mm -hmm. And so I had this moment where I was like, wow, and I'm not confined by anyone anymore. And I'm very responsive. I, I was never the type of educator that planned a lot. So like, I'm glad I co-taught with people who were planners because I wasn't the planner because I'm very much, I can do things on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Thank I'm you. very responsive to my kids and what they're hearing and what they're seeing, and what they're feeling and experiencing and doing and thinking. Mm-hmm. I can pivot. Yep. And so I immediately just kind of moved into action of like, what can I make? And one of the first things I made was a 60 second text. And mind you, I'd had this idea for so many years to create my own leveled text, because when I would teach guided reading, I'd be like, these books don't connect to my children's lives at all. Like we could be doing better. Yeah. You know, and I had always, and I, I told you, I studied like film photography for a while. And so mm-hmm. I, so I shoot photography. So I was like, I can make these by myself. I just was never able to get around to it because my I worked from 7.30 to 4.30 and then did mm-hmm. after school. So, you know, so like did not have any time. Nope. So now I'm like, well, how can I create texts, you know, that are emergent readers for children, mm-hmm. but also accessible via home uh, because now everyone's at home. But also, how do I make them speak to big concepts? Because I'm really great at taking these big concepts and breaking them down for young children. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, these could be anchor texts to have critical conversations. And so 60-second texts were born. And I made one around pronouns. The first was one of my first ones. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I made a a woke word of the day resource around protest. And that that went viral. Um, And it went viral in, uh, in in a way where I received a lot of bombardment from people who uh, were not with it. And then I, it also went viral in a way where people were like, wow, we really needed this. And I choose to focus on those people always. And so what it just started becoming its own pedagogy. I created these different things. So now I have 60 second texts, right? Mm -hmm. Big concepts for little people in 60 seconds. I have woke word of the day, which is essentially like language of the resistance. So -hmm. basically vocabulary that kids can learn to critique their realities. So not just learning big words, but what language do I need to be able to assess my experiences in the world and be able to critique my reality? Mm. I also have uh, woke read alouds. I also did that. That was one of the, the first one I did was wings and I just winged it. Mm. Literally, pun intended, (laughs) honestly. I didn't even mean to do that, but whatever. Uh, And I I just read it. Like I just read it and um, it's basically being able to connect our experiences in the world or uh, making authentic connections to, to children's texts mm. um, through an abolitionist lens, really. And then yeah. Woke Wonderings, which is to me the heart of my pedagogy. And it's really around um, drawing on kids' inherent genius. So their inherent gifts of curiosity and imagination and 
wondering and creativity to imagine possible futures as present realities. Mm. What if I wondered about a world that could exist and I freedom dream my way to it? And I'm not asking whether or not you wonder about it. I'm saying, hey, I'm wondering about this world existing here right now. Now what? What would you do? Uh, And so I I term it like my resistance framework for kids. And it's a way for kids to feel participatory in in liberation movements. Mm -hmm. Children who are the most oppressed group of of people on the planet who often Mm -hmm. have no say in anything. And yet it's their imagination and their creativity and curiosity and rebelliousness that move us forward. They're Mm -hmm. the ones that are going to be here to experience the world that we want to see and we may not ever be able to experience. So what are we leaving behind? Um, And so, so much of the pedagogy revolves around kids understanding our children, not as just, not as victims of their circumstances or survivors or property, Mm -hmm. right? Understanding children as these, these independent, self-determined beings Mm -hmm. who are also our comrades, who are like our co-architects of the futures we want to build. And so that's really what Will Kindergarten is about. We are a global abolitionist kind of early learning ecosystem and visionary creative portal that like supports our little comrades and mm-hmm. the adults who are in community with them um, towards thinking about really kind of critical liberatory uh, pedagogy. Um, and essentially the idea is just to really eradicate carceral logics and create the world that mm-hmm. we deserve. So that's, yeah, that's kind of what kindergarten literally in a nutshell. And I, I offer, I create offerings. It's a, it's very much a maker space. Mm-hmm. I try to make the things that we never had. I try to make mm-hmm. the things that I never, I was never able to give to my kids. Uh, and it's meant to be generative. And every everything that I create can be used in tandem with one another. So if I make a work word of the day around abolish and I have a 60 second text that's about, it's called safe, mm-hmm. uh, then all of these things can be used in tandem together. If I create a woke wondering around, um, I wonder, you know, what a world would like, would kind of look like without without the police how would we keep each other safe Mm -hmm. then all of that kind of moves together they're also meant to be generative in the sense that you're supposed to create from them or with them Mm -hmm. what could you make your own 60 second text around safety i have a text called we keep us safe Mm -hmm. what would what does safety look like in your classroom what does safety look like in your community who's there who 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 plays a role Uh, and so it's very much that it's a guide a lot of people think it's like curriculum but Will Kindergarten really serves as a guide. Hmm. I put a lot of, I, I call them offerings because everything is free. Hmm. And once I release it, it's no longer mine. I think Mariam Kaba is someone that I look to who talks about that hmm. in abolition around like, we don't own anything. We don't own it. It's no longer mine. Hmm. Um, and so that's all the stuff that people will see online. And then outside of that, I do workshops and panels and, and keynotes and, and consult and coaching and things like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. There were so many absolutely beautiful things that you just said. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to try to like dissect them one by one. Um, wow. But I definitely feel you in that shift, you know, as I also am outside of the classroom right now and, you know, that shift from, you know, being an inside the classroom teacher to kind of being an educator. And it is a bit of a shift. And there is that kind of mentality of feeling like, you know, I felt like I was kind of mourning a little bit that I wasn't in, you know, I wasn't a teacher, I wasn't in early childhood anymore, like I was kind of on the outskirts of it. But I was still doing things within education, and I was still doing advocacy work, and I was still doing social justice work. And I've been using that term educator and it's so beautiful. Like it really like clicked when you said it, I was like, that is it. (laughs) That is the thing I've been using that more now. And it really does connect with, you know, what we're doing out here in the world is we're, we're educators, we are engaging in education and we are, you know, engaging with it in this very, very unique kind of way. And I always say, you know, being in the classroom is its own kind of form of advocacy. And, you know, you can still advocate for education, you know, from within the system and from outside the system. Um, there's, they're both valid ways of advocacy and advocating. I also love that a key part of your, your pedagogy is really centering the child, right? I think sometimes when we make advocacy movements or, you know, we try to like, you know, help a, a cause or an issue, we kind of forget to center the person who is directly 
you know, impacted by the oppression, right? We're just like, oh, we're going to solve the carceral system and I'm going to do this and then do this. But it's like, okay, but are you actually focusing on these formerly incarcerated individuals? Are we actually focusing on these reentering individuals and what their experience is like? Are we listening to what their experience is? Yeah. Um, And how are they playing a role in their own liberation? Exactly. They need, you know, and that's, Mm-hmm. that's that's so much of that reminds me I'm glad you brought that up that you could see that mm-hmm. I really appreciate that you could you could see how well kindergarten really is I, I always say well kindergarten is for everybody but it ain't for just anybody Ooh, and yes. it's for everybody because my work when I make my work I make that I make my work with black children all black children black queer trans neurodivergent disabled Mm. children in mind because i know that if i make it for them it is for everybody Mm. i know that no one will be left out if i make it for them and so when i'm approached with so much uh vitriol or or hatred and misunderstanding and misconstruction of who i am and Mm -hmm. what i do in the beginning it used to throw me off and i used to overthink what I would make Mm. and the way that I ground myself is I come back to saying and and I and I encourage other people to do this like who is my audience who is this for Mm. and it's not for them it's for the kids and one thing that I included in Woke Kindergarten's pedagogy is this little character named Little Power And little power is like an early childhood manifestation, well, an inner child, excuse me, manifestation of me. Mm -hmm. And they're this little like non-binary five-year-old who looks like a superhero. Uh, And the child is genderless. So however anybody Mm -hmm. interprets who they are is fine. But little power has these these, uh, powers that are linked to the wonderings framework, which is wondering, expansion, imagination, inquiry creation and sharing and so these really inherent powers and little power is the person who takes children through my youth focused sessions so when I do that it's little power who's speaking and I felt like it was really important even from like a there's there's very much like an Afrofuturist element of little power looking at them they look like they're from some other time like in the future and it's important for for in my opinion for black children and all children to see a black child uh, represented in this way mm-hmm. and to to feel as powerful but that that child for me I'm like it's always adults talking down to kids but what what would it look like and feel like for children to be engaging with little power and speaking from from their perspective and so yes. little power exists and I and I really want to continue to think about different ways that I can Utilize little power. I have little little comrade combos that little power takes kids comrade through. Combos, and uh it. yeah. And so to me that's a really important element of like mm-hmm. oftentimes adults are talking about children and for children mm-hmm. and we're not talking with them. We're not giving them yeah. space to tell us who they are. Mm-hmm. We're not listening. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and I feel like white supremacy creates these narratives about who our children are. This mm-hmm. happens in schools all the time where kids become numbers and become reading levels and become problematic and all mm-hmm. of these things. This is a disruptive kid when really we should shift the narrative. Actually, that's a disruptor and we need those children later on. Yes, yes. And like looking at children and saying, if this young child is coming into my place and space and they they're wilding out, yep. people go something wrong with that child. You and I go something wrong fire. with this place. Don't douse their fire. Something is wrong with this place. Yes. It literally, this child is telling us straight up, it's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. So we need to listen. And so to me, it's, it's, I just really love that you got that from the work because it really does center mm-hmm. children. You know yes, what I mean? And yes. I, and I, I want I want children to understand that they are already inherently powerful. We do not empower kids. They are inherently powerful. And so, so much of our work is to help children unearth what their gifts are, mm-hmm. what their powers are. Not to say we're handing you power, but to say you already have it. What you going to do with it here? Yes. Let me let me support you in that. Yes, yes, yes. A trillion times. Yes. And I think as adults, we oftentimes inadvertently, I don't I don't think it's intentional, but it's like we inadvertently you know, disempower young people and 
we make assumptions based on, you know, based on, you know, whatever we think it is, right? We make these assumptions on, you know, what their what their abilities are. We make assumptions on how much how much they can understand or how much they can grasp things, you know. I know people kind of shy away from these more intense topics on liberation and, you know, race and gender. You know, people just don't want to have those conversations. And I don't I think the the excuse comes from, oh, they're they're too young to understand that. They're not going to understand. And I just don't, I don't find that to be accurate. Right. I think it's that you don't understand. <laughs> Hello. You, you are not ready. Mm-hmm. You're not ready. Let's, let's, let's take a moment because mm-hmm. this is so much of my work around teaching folks how to have critical conversations. Yeah. I mean, I get this all the time, obviously mm-hmm. they're so young and you're indoctrinating them. And I mm-hmm. say, you, you wouldn't believe what kids come to me asking me about or telling me about, especially yeah. in this day and age where they have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Like I always say when people say they're too young, I, I say, well, I think it's that you just don't have the range. Mm. You don't have the range to do what I do. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. We're different people. You do what you do. I do what I do. You don't have the range for it because I can still prioritize and affirm and sustain children's humanity and have yeah. these conversations. If you are struggling with this, then you need to do a deep dive and excavation of why you're struggling because there's an insecurity there. There's a fear there Mm. and that you're imposing upon these children. And that isn't fair. Mm -hmm. Like that type of adultism, we're not doing that. That type, that, that low key form of ableism, like where kids aren't ready for Mm -hmm. this, they aren't ready for that. No, you're not. And so I always tell people, you might not be ready for the conversation. And if you're not, just say, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but we let's, mm-hmm. we let's try to figure it out together. Or what do you think? You know what I mean? Yes. Because you have to be secure in your ability to be able to have that. And sometimes that means you need to go find resources for yourself mm-hmm. before you can even come to a child because children, they be having a combo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Children be ready. <laughs> they really do. They be ready for it. You know, and then you also have to have some discernment. You have Mm -hmm. to know who your children are. Not every child is going to be prepared at a specific time within a specific context Mm -hmm. to talk about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Because we don't want to, we also don't want to re-traumatize children. Mm -hmm. And some people don't know how to, how to not do that. Mm -hmm. And so you have to just have discernment. What works for your child? Who are they? What have their experiences been? What type of trauma or healing have they been able to experience? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so people need to think about this, but you know. You know how it goes. <laughs> I, I the do. people who say that they're too young, they don't think about that. Nah, so nah. And it's you know, it comes as a as a great disservice to the actual, you know, children who are navigating this. And as you mentioned before, they're the ones who are gonna have to navigate the world as we're leaving it, right? They're the many ones who are kind of faced and tasked with changing the way that we've left things for them, right? And so we do this disservice by not engaging them when you know, they're going to have these conversations anyway. So like, why would we not want to be there to help them and to guide them um, and to ask those kind of guiding questions and to get them thinking about things in a different type of way, right? Because we know that children are always watching. They're always listening, right? They're always gathering information, especially in early childhood, because the world is so new to them. And I'm an adult and I don't think, I don't think things make sense. So like, (laughs) Hello. I can't imagine being a child and being like, things, the things, the math is not mathing. And I don't even know what math is. I get it. (laughs) And I'm trying to make sense of my world. Mm -hmm. And I'm communicating in all of these different ways that have, that adults have forgotten Mm -hmm. how to identify. Mm -hmm. Communication is not just verbal. When we, when we, you know, so much of what we do needs to be also grounded in disability justice Mm -hmm. and understanding that we are all different people who have so much to offer and have so many skills and so many talents. And mm-hmm. we just, we, we, we move through the world in different ways and kids coming into this realm, especially mm-hmm. as they're figuring out who they are and figuring out what this place is and trying to make sense of things, mm-hmm. communicate to us in different ways. And so I often ask uh, educators and people who engage with me in my work or my workshops, to consider how kids are communicating through the senses, you know, Mm -hmm. to consider all of that. And I find that that's really helpful for people to then shift their understanding of like, 
this is how a child's communicating and it's Mm -hmm. verbally or it's written or whatever to wait, like energetically, how are they feeling? Like, Mm -hmm. what are their behaviors saying to us? You know what I mean? So that we can move away from these really kind of carceral lenses Mm -hmm. and, and, and think to ourselves, actually, this child is communicating something we weren't thinking about before. Yeah, I think that's really important. It is. And as one of those kids who also used to think about things in a very different way and used to ponder about things and quickly learned that that's not how we do things here. Um, it really did, you know, it kind of doused my fire. I was a kid with a lot of, you know, fire and a lot of, you know, I had this really, you know, I was a highly sensitive kid. So, you know, I felt things, you know, very deeply and I saw things that a lot of people didn't usually see. And I felt that very deeply. Um, you know, I'd always question around, you know, Thanksgiving time, I would question, you know, what, what is the actual meaning of this holiday? What are we actually doing here? What is the purpose? Yeah. You know, same thing with Christmas. I'm like, what is, what, why are we doing this? Why are we here? And people Hello? are like, no, Brittany, stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm over here. I'm <laughs> like every holiday is, is either brought up by capitalism or mm-hmm. colonialism or some form of Christianity or, mm-hmm. or imperialist ideology. Yeah. And I'm like, have we thought about that? Like even about think it. about how, so in, in so many other countries in the world, mm-hmm. children's day is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, children, it's children's day. We're honoring our kids mm-hmm. in this settler state right Mm -hmm. of the so-called united states we do have a children's day but no one talks about it or really gets it Mm -hmm. but what we do talk about all the time is take your children to work day Mm. like do you think about that like literally Uh, we're taking our children to work yeah we're not honoring our kids we're saying hey come look at how we do these jobs Mm -hmm. and so it's just like i think about that too i don't celebrate any of this stuff Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying because it's like what is it really for? Most of the time when people celebrate Christmas, it's because they want, they're participating in capitalism. It's really like, let's get a bunch of gifts. It's not even about Jesus. We we literally, Bethlehem was being bombed on Christmas. Yes. Jesus is a Palestinian Jew mm-hmm. and Bethlehem's being bombed and people are celebrating Christmas when Palestinians, cr- Palestinian Christians in Bethlehem mm-hmm. canceled it. So y'all not even really about Christmas. Y'all about mm-hmm. shopping and gifts. Yep. And then everybody tries to tries to do the thing. Well, it's a gathering time for family. I'm like, look, y'all either in solidarity or you not. But these mm-hmm. holidays, they not they not solid. Even th- celebrating yeah. Thanksgiving, I'm like, literally, indigenous people were genocided. Mm-hmm. What 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 is going on here? What are we? I think so. We gotta do a lot of. Yeah. Hello, we we have so much internal work that we have to do mm-hmm. because we ain't never getting free continuing to participate in this stuff, even when we try to reform what we do mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like there's so much reformation and like oh well we don't celebrate thanksgiving in the way where it's like colonialism we mm-hmm. celebrate because we just make food and kick it with family and i'm like but you're still doing it on the same day you're mm-hmm. still making the food yep just because you don't talk about <laughs> christopher columbus Mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah. and so I just I need more I need more from us you know and so yes. I feel you on that of like we need to do more of that ex- excavation and we interrogation do. of like we what's do. going on and kids are really good at that kids are they really are. good at that they are and again we as adults sometimes we will I always say like we douse that fire we turn that fire down or we turn it off because it doesn't fit into kind of exactly what you're saying this kind of carceral ideas and this kind of way that we our traditional model of education that we have right now, which is very punitive and it's very, you know, it's become very kind of commercialized with education. So, you know, educators are, you know, teachers are expected to do certain things in the classroom. And so because of all these expectations, you know, that means a lot of the joy in education has been sucked out of it, you know, from the educators and from the students. And it means that we're not listening to what the students are saying. It means that, you know, it's like, you have to sit down, you have to be quiet, just like everyone else, everyone in the classroom has to do the exact same thing. And you have to do these worksheets and you have to read this book and you have to do this. And so it's coming to the space where like now our students are, you know, experiencing severe mental health issues because of this extreme stress that we're putting them on in order to meet these demands within education. But at no point have we stopped and said, is this right? 
Is this developmentally appropriate? Is this in alignment? Like, what is our what is our intention? What are we trying to do in education right now? Because what we're trying to do is we're just trying to to get them you know okay with systemized how things are done so that you know we can control yeah. them later. And and it, yeah. <laughs> That element of it too, and and that's another thing that I talk with people about because you know earlier we were talking about the difference between like a school teacher and an educator and mm -hmm. how I conceive of it in my mind. I say the same thing around schooling and education. Education is a very liberatory process and mm -hmm. can happen anywhere with mm -hmm. anyone. Yes. Right. Schooling is very much this this um, experience designed literally by a government that was like, yo, mm -hmm. we need some little workers. We need to prepare kids mm -hmm. for the workforce. Yeah. And so that's what it does. And mm -hmm. the workforce is very much do what we say, mm -hmm. you know, do capitalism really it. is. And it, it is in so deeply a part of the prison industrial complex. And so that's very much what we see with schools. Mm -hmm. We see a school to prison pipeline. We see the yep. school prison nexus. We know that prisons, there's prison labor. Slavery by any other name exists as mm -hmm. prison labor and convict leasing. Like it has not gone away. Mm -hmm. And the prison industrial complex is connected to all of these various interlocking elements of what we experience with schools, mm -hmm. zero tolerance policies, right? Like this idea that like all of these entities are arms of the state. Like when you have ACS and CPS and they're taking kids away from their families when the family just needs some money to have housing and food, but you giving all the money to the foster parents and kidnapping kids mm -hmm. away from them. All of this is happening and kids are coming into school stressed. They're hungry. Mm -hmm. They're in lunch debt. Yeah. Children are in lunch debt. That's wild. That's a wild concept. You know, me. and it's, it's, it's really incredible because, you know, even in the places and spaces that they have free lunch it's because of the black panther party mm -hmm. when you have free breakfast and free lunch like the free breakfast program is really the guide for that yep. and so it's just like all of these kind of uh interlocking mechanisms around the prison industrial complex around how uh you know governmental entities and corporations kind of work together to uphold you know using policing prison surveillance and punishment to solve um, all of these social problems that they create in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so we see control, we see compliance, we see surveillance, we see this showing up in our schools. We see it with rewards and punishments when you take away recess and you take away food. Mm -hmm. and you, you, you know, all of these things when kids are, are isolated, like when you put them, so many kids I've seen literally be put in like a form of solitary confinement. Yeah. Little children calling the police on kids, arresting five-year-olds, mm -hmm. like all of these things happening. And people yeah. need to understand that this is directly connected. Like the prison industrial complex, mm -hmm. like prisons and jails are really in the middle and everything is really an arm of it. Yeah. And so we have to consider what is the difference between schooling and education? What are we mm -hmm. participating in actively? Because every person who works in a school is an agent of the state, whether we want to be or not. And we cannot move. Abolition tells us really tr truly, like we can't move continuously in shame and self-guilt and self-punishment mm -hmm. because that actually does nothing for nobody, but actually continue to cause more harm. Mm -hmm. So you can't feel all guilty and shameful, whatever. You just have to, to sit here and say, this is this is the reality, this is the truth. Mm -hmm. How am I going to disrupt it the best that I can while I am yes. in this entity? And if I leave this entity, then what can I do? Mm -hmm. What will I do? You know, abolition is such a, a humane, uh, it's a humane understanding mm -hmm. of, of the world. Like abolition is humanity. And so, and, and, and Dr. Ruth Wilson Gilmore talks about it being life affirming, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, for me, I tell people I'm pro-humanity. Y'all yeah. say I'm this, 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 and that, but I'm pro-humanity. Why does that upset you so much? Mm -hmm. Why are you so comfortable with violence? I am not. Yes, that's the thing. Why are you so comfortable with that? Why can't we be safe? Mm -hmm. What does safety look like, feel like, smell like, taste like, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so I think understanding the difference, moving beyond schooling, which mm -hmm. literally is confined to four walls often. Yeah. 
yeah. towards education and being able to think about what else could it be? You know, mm. that's where we get into this kind of liberatory understanding and what kindergarten exists outside of schools and is one kind of manifestation of abolitionist teaching, yes. which really focuses on uh, so much of like freedom dreaming and black joy and all of these various elements and, and restorative justice and all of these mm -hmm. things that uh, kind of resist carceral logics, which are punishment mindsets for, for, for folks who don't, who don't know. Yes, yes. We're unfortunately very punishment minded and very, you know, we're just very reactionary and very, you know, oh, there's harm done. So we need to punish the person who does, did it. And, you know, thinking that that's going to cause, that's going to lead to more deterrence. And it, it doesn't actually because <laughs> if it did just throw them away yeah if it did then we wouldn't see things keep happening right we wouldn't see you know the research of these things we wouldn't see recidivism like if that was an actual method that helped reduce harm it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't reduce harm right and we're not looking at it i always say oh. you got to take your lens and you got to expand it and really look at a problem from where did this problem start right not just looking at the exactly. behavior right we do that in schools too we look at behavior we're saying Oh, well, yep. this first, this kid is like this, or this kid is like that. And then we either shove them in special needs or we, you know, kind of designate them to be ignored or we just say like, oh, so-and-so is just like that. And perpetuating so much harm in the process of doing yep. that. And it's, it's sad to see that. It's so, it's so awful to see that because, you know, going back to our kind of main original point, children don't deserve that. Right. And sometimes you know, I've noticed, you know, in conversations or, you know, working with people who have either been in the field or outside of the field, right? Even, you know, working with parents at times sometimes. And I don't think we see children as people sometimes. And that's a big thing. You they know? don't. People see children as property. Their property. These yes. people, these people who are literal fascists, honestly, quite frankly, children are property to people they think they own them yeah children are not to be owned mm -hmm. they're their own people they there's this criminalization of survival and humanity and it hits mm -hmm. children the hardest yeah and so abolition is very much about we are focusing and centering humanity mm -hmm. we are trying to give people what they need we look at people as actual people we look at children mm -hmm. as people and we know that people can cause harm because often harm has been done to them and so how do then we work to repair it and and for folks who really struggle with like when harm is egregious mm -hmm. i for me will struggle with certain elements of like, wow, this harm is pretty egregious. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that person just is not my work. Mm -hmm. That this, there's this belief, there's not this, just throwing away people everywhere, but that person is not my work. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and I think about that often with kids, how people just throw kids away. Like you're telling me this child has been on earth for five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. and you think that that's enough time? Your brain's not even fully developed until you're like 25. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we are literal adolescents until we're 25, yes. like let it rock. And it's just, you know, I just, yeah. I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because people really do not view children as people. We don't. And I, don't. I, I have this mutual respect and adoration for young children, mm -hmm. for all children, uh, because of the fact that they are still so in tune with these kind of natural gifts of their own humanity mm -hmm. until the adults in the world strip it away. Yes. And but we're, what we're seeing with Gen Z and Gen Alpha is unprecedented it because is. these kids are not playing. I love. I and love honestly, them. it's thanks. It's it's thanks to millennials. Because give hey, us some credit. Thank you. Because <laughs> we because we the ones that endure Gen X Put and some and, respect. And, uh, Yes. And boomers, stop yeah. playing with it, right? Yeah. Like, and we're I tired now, but we, we did that. <laughs> Hello. I will give it to Gen X and being a rebellious. They had some rebelliousness mm -hmm. with the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, <laughs> I will give it to them in a way. But then when they raised us, it was very much like boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And millennials, we were the first ones to be like, wait a second, our mental health is trash. It's, like, we're struggling. We are. We're the not whole playing collection. With this. We're, 
we're quitting the, we're quitting jobs yes and now gen z is like i'm not doing that job <laughs> like so, yes i have so much just, respect for I, those younger generations and gen z and i just have so much respect like i'm constantly learning and i love that just we kind of started the process for them and now we're like all right y'all the mental health is mental health thing right now so <laughs> what they teach us they teach you know us we so should much. always be learning with Learning with, with, with yes, children. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Learn you know, with. learning with all the time. It's a very reciprocal process. Education to me. And I know you're going to ask me this question, so I might as well get to it if I'm reimagining <laughs> education, right? Yes. Education is a reciprocal process. We've mm. witnessed it. Our understanding of indigenous education is very limited based on the mm. fact that this these people these colonizers have literally tried to eradicate indigenous people, but they're still here. And we can still learn so much from indigenous ways of being and knowledge yes. that there is this reciprocity with one another and with the land and that education happens everywhere, mm -hmm. like all the time. And it happens with elders and it happens with children and it happens with stories and it happens with experiences. Mm -hmm. And so education exists simultaneously everywhere yes. and so i think that we have to start imagining ways of being together outside of colonial structures mm -hmm. outside of 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 just physical space and place mm -hmm. and think about how every moment that we share with one another and with children can be a moment of political education can be a moment of joy or just surprise if we approach everything mm -hmm. with curiosity if we approach even our relationships to people with curiosity mm -hmm. then we'll we'll connect we'll have a better chance of connecting more to one another and to the land and to yes. to to our environment and so i think that we just have to to approach my my suggestion to people if i'm reimagining education is to really prioritize noticing and wondering and remaining curious in every aspect of your world every, all the time yes you know and school is is not it's 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 not the only place where we can find learning but learning is literally everywhere when you mm -hmm. teach children how to read we teach children how to read the world mm -hmm. when you read the world there's it's everything everywhere it's not just that it's reading energy yes. it's reading emotions mm -hmm. it's reading the signs, you know? Mm -hmm. So thinking about that of of kind of eradicating your own uh one, we gotta abolish the cops in our heads and hearts. So we cannot police mm -hmm. anything or anyone. Yeah. We have to move away from that because that we create prisons of people, mm -hmm. prisons of our minds, prisons of our realities, when really if we can get free of that, mm -hmm. then we can see that like this this learning this unlearning yes. happens everywhere. So I want people to start reimagining education as an unlearning. It is truly mm, a yes. great unlearning and, and moving towards possibility. And, and this idea that everything that has been made in this world, and I think about Mariam Kaba talking about this all the time, can be unmade. Mm. That so much of this is not real and has not been around forever. Yeah. And so we can unmake. And the last thing I'll say about this is like, when we think about white supremacy, I tell people white supremacy destroys for the sake of destruction. Yes. We are witnessing that happening literally in Gaza. Yes. We're, we're witnessing this happening in Palestine. Yes. It's destroying for the sake of destruction. It is. Abolition destroys for the sake of creation. Mm. We're destroying the things that are harmful to bring in new, caring, loving spaces where we can give people what they need, what they want, what they deserve. And that's the difference. And we don't have all the answers because everybody's like, well, what do you do? We don't have the answers, but guess what? We're courageous enough to experiment towards them. And y'all are not. Mm. And I'm gonna leave it at that. Because <laughs> if we looking for the experimenters, it's the little kids. Mm -hmm. It's the kids that we go to because they're the ones that are fearless. They are. And so we need to stop making them scared. Oh my gosh, mic drop. <laughs> Just mic drop immediately. No, it's... I, you know, mostly just want to thank you so much for just talking about what's happening in Palestine, because I know that it's, it's hard to talk about it. And I know that there's a lot of backlash every time it comes up. And it's like, it's not an attack on anyone. It is literally looking at what's happening 
it is a genocide that is happening. Look at it. Like, we can't keep looking away from that. Like, the people there can't stop. They can't not look at it. It's their experience. It's their daily life. There's bombings happening. There's snipers are sniping children. It's these are babies. These are babies out there. I read today that I read today that children in Palestine are now measuring their age by how many Israeli assaults mm-hmm. they've survived or endured. Do you understand? I don't That's, think we understand the magnitude. People always want to talk about being trauma informed. We can never understand the magnitude of what these people yeah. are enduring Every while the world day. literally watches and does nothing and yeah. says it's okay for a three-month-old baby to be bombed in, in their mm-hmm. sleep. It's okay for a 14-year-old child getting water to be murdered by a sniper. Mm-hmm. It's okay to starve people. It's okay. Th- this, all of the children in the world are our children if we are saying we are early childhood people mm-hmm. then all of the children matter and palestinian children are not the only ones affected by this israeli children are affected by this too because that violence that they're being mm-hmm. taught that type of violence is so insidious it changes you to grow up and yeah. be- be- become the adults that are yeah. existing right now and so white supremacy is harmful for everyone and we are bearing witness. And so I will never be quiet about Palestine, no matter how much yeah. they come for me, because at the end of the day, I care about children. Mm-hmm. And if you care about children, then you must care about Palestine. 100%. It's as simple as that. You must care about Sudan. You yes. must care about Congo. Yes. Children are not workers. You must care about Tigray. You must care about mm. Myanmar. You must care about Yemen. Mm. We can't sit here and you must care about black children in this country too especially because we are witnessing yeah the iof who literally is massacring palestinians they're the people who train our police force who kill our children yeah and so that that's it's that's why it's so important for us to have solidarity in this work Mm -hmm. as early childhood people we need to sit here and say all the children are our children yes and all the children deserve life and all the children deserve safety. Yeah. And so if we're not talking about it, then people really need to kind of, yeah. they need to do a lot of self-work, <laughs> okay? Like yeah. do, do yeah. a lot of the unlearning that we're talking about because we, we can't move through this life without acknowledging that. So I appreciate you making the space for, for that to also be something that we speak to and, and speak loudly about. Absolutely, we do need to speak loudly on it. And I know it can be hard to talk about at first and it can be hard to look at it and and see it but again, all I think about are the people who are on the ground who don't have a choice to not look at it, right? Who don't have a Hello. choice to not experience it. I'm I am sure each and every person on the ground right now would love to not have to experience it, would love to not have to see it. Um, so it is important that we are engaging with it, that we're uplifting the voices that are still on the ground that are talking about this, that are, you know, that are showing videos and they're hard to see. And, and as a sensitive person, I can't see that without like my mental health declining severely. Absolutely. You know? But what I can do is I can support and I can keep talking about it and I can keep elevating that and I can keep elevating ways that we can support. And so, you know, I see people out there who are talking on it and who are doing these things and I just have so much respect and I want to keep elevating that because we can't just keep letting this happen. And I think the more that these hard things happen, whether it's these genocides, whether it's the school shootings, whether it's another, you know, incidents of police violence right it yeah or is... even what's happening in flint the children yes, have no clean water they still have clean water children have from from flint to ferguson to mm-hmm. gaza like literally yes. what we're exper- like what we're enduring is a global anti-blackness mm-hmm. that's occurring we are witnessing the manifestation of global anti-blackness mm-hmm. and such severe violence committed and atrocities committed yeah. in the name of white supremacy in the name of colonialism mm-hmm. and U.S. imperialism, and it's here, it's it's here. Jackson, Mississippi yeah. had no water. We're yeah. seeing this happen here. So, like all of our children's lives are interconnected, mm-hmm. and we need to continue to talk about that. There are so many children locked in cages. Yeah, we have the highest prison population in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and the majority of those people. The majority of those people are people of color, are black folks, are people who are disabled, are people who are illiterate. Mm -hmm. This is all so, so intentional. So we really need to, to, to keep that in mind of how our struggles are interconnected and how ultimately the people who are most profoundly affected are our children. Yep. 
you know, they're seeing it. And again, going back to, you know, that idea that, you know, we can't talk to children about these things and we can't bring these, these big concepts up, like it's too hard for them. That's just not the case, right? It's important that we're having these conversations. Obviously, we don't need to just bluntly show them these things or bluntly tell them these things, right? There are ways that we can do this, especially with young children that still honors their humanity and still respects where they are on their journey, but also looks at, you know, what kind of questions can we be asking them? What kind of dialogue, like what do they understand about the world? What do they want to understand about the world? What questions about the world do they have? And how do we help guide them through the processes of just investigating these things and, you know, the process of, you know, showing them these different ways of thinking and honoring their different ways of thinking, again, not putting out their light, just honoring that and honoring their humanity and their dignity, right? Kids have so many beautiful ideas and so many just things that they think about and so many ways that they move about the world that it's really beautiful to see them trying to make sense of what's happening around them. It's a beautiful, you just see the little wheels turning. It's a beautiful process. And so we do them a disservice and we we are actively harming them when we do not engage them more in these conversations. And so thank you for, for what Woke Kindergarten is doing and those 60 second stories and all those really great things because showing people that we can have these conversations and showing these guides on how do we do that, right? I know people want to, but might not have the tools, might not know how to do that. And this kind of starts that research project. Like, here you go. Here's some resources. Start your journey. It's important that we're doing this because again, this is the future that, you know, we're leaving them. We're not leaving them in a really great shape. So the best thing that we can do for the young people that are, you know, are in the world right now is to give them the resources, give them the tools, give them the opportunities to, again, ask questions, to explore, to investigate, give them the tools and the resources to do that. And also showing them again, it doesn't, you know, by having these conversations, it's not taking away from anyone else. It's only giving, it's only expanding them in so many different ways. And like, we've been doing things, we've been conditioned to think that the way that things are right now is okay. And we've been conditioned to think that this is the way it needs to be, but it doesn't. Right. It's okay. It doesn't have to be this way. way. Um, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. Um, so again, I want to thank you so much for just what you're putting out there and just the ideas that you're just kind of releasing into the world because they're important and because they matter and your platform is just beautiful and it's important and it needs more elevation. Um, and speaking of your platform, where can my audience find you or, you know, are you working on anything that you want to share? Sure. Yes. Uh, so like wokekindergarten.org um, is like the main kind of landing point from for the website. Uh, YouTube.com slash wokekindergarten has my text and my read alouds on it. Um, issue, ISSUU.com has some of my zines that I've created. Like, mm-hmm. for example, I have a zine called um, So You Made It to a Protest, which is mm-hmm. something that I hand out to kids uh, who are at demonstrations. It helps them discover what's going on around them through the senses. Mm. Um, I also have a Patreon, which is a sustainability community where I offer, um, if I if I create something, I'll put like the PDF versions on there, or I'll have, I'm about to start launching working groups. And that actually just helps to sustain my work as I put everything out for free. Mm. Uh, and then um, you can find me at wakeupatwokekindergarten.org mm. for any kind of inquiries around workshops. I have so many workshops. Abolitionist teaching in the early years. Woke read alouds, like mm. making life affirming connections to our world. Protecting joy, the art of critical conversations. Mm. Um, making 60 second texts. I have a lot of sessions for kids called Wondering Towards an Abolitionist Future. Mm. Um, and so you can you can find me in all those places and spaces. And I really appreciate the support from folks because as much support that I get, of mm-hmm. course, there's so much backlash all the time. Yep. There's always a misconstruction of who we are and what we do mm-hmm. because, but, but so, what's so interesting is the violence always feels like it has to be louder. Yep. And I don't feel like I have to be that loud. I just do what I do. I know mm-hmm. who I am. I know what my purpose is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we, we should all remember that, but we, while they're super loud, I think our collective um, care and support for one another through all of these various realms of support that we can give one an- another is louder. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely find me there. I would love to continue to work with people. 
um, work with schools, organizations, just mm -hmm. communities, folks in general. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm always ideating something. There's mm -hmm. always some project in the works. I also really want to work on writing my books. Yay. Um, and, and doing all of that and kind of getting back into to keynoting. And I also do like talks with youth, with mm -hmm. people. So definitely come find me there. The Instagram is at Woke Kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you can you can find me online and on that platform. And uh, I do have like a TikTok that I haven't updated in a while, but it was specifically for kids. It was like a Woke Kindergarten TikTok for kids. Um, oh. But yeah, I think that's all I can really think about currently of kind of where we are, but the hope is to kind of move into like the books, not only mm -hmm. books for like kids, but also books for the adults. Yes. That's yes, my, yes. that's my big dream. Yeah. Um, to like figure out and also get hip to like BLM at school, the guiding principles, mm -hmm. um, get hip to resources from project Nia who has since sunset. Mm -hmm. And then there's a text called lessons in liberation for anybody mm -hmm. who wants to look at like teachers who are actually doing this, this kind of work. Awesome. And I'll have um, all of that linked down in the description box. So if you're curious about any of those things that Key just mentioned, you can go check those out there. Um, again, I just want to thank you so much for, for joining me in conversation. I, I always feel energized after I talk about just these types of things and I'm stoked and I can't wait to have you back on to talk about that book that I know is coming. So. Yeah, you know, <laughs> manifest it for me. I'm, okay? manifest. I'm putting really... it out there. It's happening. <laughs> I, it's gonna happen. It's yes, gonna happen. Yes. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brittany. This was really incredible conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I am really excited to continue to kind of get to know each other. Yes, yes. Um, but like I say, well, kindergarten, I say all power to the little people and all power to the little people inside of you. Yes. Connect with your inner child. Get get that little inner child right. Yes, yes. So yes. we can get our kids right, right? <laughs> Oof. And on that note, <laughs> I'll end that there. Thank you. I thank you know. so much. Thank you for tuning into Conscious Pathways. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to Conscious Pathways wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to share or leave a rating or a review. It really does help the podcast to grow and reach more listeners just like you. Uh, some people have asked for more ways to support the podcast. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast in other ways, I have signed up for Coffee. That's K-O-F-I. Uh, it's a donation platform. So if you're interested in donating to Conscious Pathways, uh, your donation can help support me to get more equipment uh, to, you know, increase the professional sound of this podcast. I'm also looking for an editor uh, to kind of just help me with the editing process and free up some of my time as well. So if you want to continue to support Conscious Pathways, uh, you in no way have to. It's just there if you are interested in providing a little support. Um, I'll leave the link to Coffee K-O-F-I, in the link in the description box below. Uh, and until next time, don't forget to navigate your conscious journey with courage and kindness. And I'll see you next time for more transformative conversations in education. Bye!